So John chapter 7, verses 14 to 24, we have been looking through the book of John uh, over the last six weeks, and we are now in John chapter 7, verse 14 to 24. And it reads, Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he must find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own, does so to gain honor for himself. But he who, who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not, uh, though actually it did not, circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, so can the law of, so that the law of Moses may be, not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. <clears throat> The last verse there is the only command, as it were, to the people as to what they should do in response to what Jesus had just said. It reads again, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Which means that the whole section that we just look, looked at from verses 14 to 24 is leading them to that that they would not look at things superficially, but rather that they would make the right judgment. Christians make judgments all the time, don't we? We have to. This is part of living in this world. We have to make judgments all the time. By that I mean we have to make decisions all the time. To judge in this context is to make it a determination as to how you are going to relate to the information, to the world, with the information before you. The teachers of the law, the crowd, the Jewish people, had to make a judgment. What are you going to do with this Jesus? Here he was before them. They had to make a judgment about who he is, about the claims that he made about himself, 
And Jesus turned to them and said, Stop making judgment based merely on what you see. But make a judgment. Make a proper judgment. In other words, look beyond the superficial. Look beyond what you are seeing. Look at the meaning of it. Look at the meaning of why um, I've been doing the things that I've been doing. In other words, he was calling them to be wise, to make proper judgments about who Jesus was, and to make proper judgments about the act that Jesus did as well. If you look through the verse, you will see, if you look through John, you will see that Jesus has been performing uh, miracles throughout the book. He started in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, with the miracle at the wedding in Canaan. He performed this miracle, we are told in verse 11, in order to reveal himself. And therefore, when he did this, his disciples put his put their faith in him. And we've said last week that that is the purpose of the miracles. The miracles are performed so that those who see them would trust in who Jesus is and why he has come into the world as he reveals himself and what he does in uh, performing miracles. Chapter 6 was pointing towards the same thing as well. Where Jesus fed the 5,000. That miracle of Jesus turning five loaves of bread and two fish to feed 5,000 men, it's definitely more than 5,000 people, means that they were meant to make a connection with the miracle that Jesus was performing and the fact that God fed his people in the desert. And now, God, that is Jesus, is feeding them. They are meant to make a connection about who Jesus is as he performed that miracle. Jesus makes that point in, in, uh, in John chapter 6, verses 60 to 70. That miracle was meant to lead them to trust in him, not to follow him around simply because he provides food. Just as the disciples are not meant to follow Jesus around simply because he can turn water into wine. They are meant to see Jesus for who he is. Miracles also have been an indicator of what Christ has come to do. When he healed a man from his disability in chapter 5, we see that Jesus was concerned more than just with healing the person of the disability, but he was concerned about the ultimate disability, and that is sin itself, something, something worse than the disability that this man had probably his whole life. In 5 verse 14, after healing the man in the pool in Bethesda, he, he heals him, he takes up this man, he walks, he reports himself to the temple. When Jesus sees him again, these are the words he, say, he says to him. He says, see, you are well again. Your disability is gone, he implies there. 
But it goes on in verse 14, it says, Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. It says, I have made you well, so that you may live a holy life, so that you may have a, uh, a relationship with God in which you are not going to encounter something worse than your disability. Which means that the, the, the healing of Christ was meant to point to a, the ultimate healing that we all need. Healing from the disease of, of, of brokenness from sin. She turns to him, Christ, and says, Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. In other words, Jesus has done something to relieve his physical suffering in order to point to the fact that he needs he needs. Spiritual relief. He needs relief from the suffering caused by a life with sin. Because of this, from chapter 5, the teachers of the law, that is the rulers in Israel, the elites, the, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the, the Sadducees, who formed this group of the rulers in Israel, who exercised both legislative authority, that is the governors, but they were also spiritual heads of the, of, the, uh, of the nation of Israel. Because of what Jesus has been, uh, was going around saying and doing, they decided that we need to get rid of this person. We need to get rid of him. They plotted to kill him. Turn with me to chapter 5. Verses 16 to 18. In chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, John says, So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working for this reason. The Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So after Jesus healed this person on the Sabbath, instead of rejoicing that this man who had been disabled all his life now can walk, now can pick up his mat. Instead of rejoicing that the suffering had been relieved, they're saying, how dare he, Jesus, perform this miracle on the Sabbath? In a day where we're supposed to be resting, how dare he relieve this person who had been suffering from his pain? So in their minds, observance to the law of the Sabbath was more important than the suffering of their fellow citizen, the suffering of another human being. A man who was carrying his mat in joy because they'd been sitting on it for a long time was breaking the law in their sight. They could not rejoice with him. But what you see at the end of verse 18 there is that they have something uh, 
They are concerned not only because Jesus is breaking the Sabbath, but they are concerned that when Jesus replies to them, and he says, God is not resting in the Sabbath, he's always at work. God is upholding the world on the Sabbath. He's not resting. Therefore, I, I too, I am working. They try to kill him because he is making himself equal with God. They know that human beings are supposed to rest because God commanded them to rest on the Sabbath day. With Jesus saying that God is at work and I am working. In their eyes, he is making himself equal with God. He's saying, I'm above um, the, these commands that are given to human beings to rest in the Sabbath. Instead of inquiring further about what Jesus means by this, they try to kill him. Instead of rejoicing at the fact that God had restored this person on the Sabbath day and had given him rest from his suffering, they try to kill him. Instead of rejoicing at the fact that God, in his mercy, had worked and provided healing and restoration, they are seeking to destroy the one who has come in the name of God. In their eyes, they are thinking that we are doing what God wants us to do. We are doing God's will. Which is why in John chapter 7, verses 14 to 17, Jesus says to them, what you are doing is not God's will. What you are doing is not the will of God. Turn with me to John 7, verse uh, 14 to 17. It starts there in verse 14 that, that now they were halfway through the feast. Uh, this, is the, this feast is the feast that the Jewish people had a week before the Passover. There would be all sorts of ceremonies that would take place from the, uh, from the Monday all the way to the end of the week uh, during the Passover. They had asked Jesus to come early, his brothers had asked Jesus to come early um, in the first verses in chapter 7, so that he can be visible, can be out there. But Jesus decided not to come early, because he had not come to be a spectacle in the world, but he had come to achieve God's purpose. So now, he comes in, and he starts teaching in the middle of the feast, and the people who are hearing his teaching, they are, they are surprised. How, how did this man get such teaching without having studied? And Jesus answered them. He says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. So the teaching that I have does not come from me. It comes from the one who sent me. The question that they should ask is that who sent you? So that you may be drawn to you in seeking to honor the one who sent you. Verse 17, Jesus continues. 
If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He says, if you want to do God's will, these people have come on the, uh, the week of the Passover in a way to do God's will, to do what God had commanded, to make sacrifices for their sins, to remember what their, their rescue from Egypt at the end of the week. And Jesus turns to them and he says, if you want to do God's will, you will find out if what, if what I'm saying comes from me or it comes from God. And then again in verse 18, he says to them, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false in him. Christ turns to them and he says, I am drawing honor, not to myself, but to the one who sent me. Therefore, I am not a false teacher. I am drawing um, honor to God. In chapter 6, they had asked him, what should we do to do, uh, what are the works that God desires? The works that God desires, he, he replied to them, is to listen to the one whom God has sent. To listen and hear that if you want forgiveness for your sin, here's how. If you want restoration and life, here's how. You go to Christ. If you want the promised Messiah who had come to relieve the bride from her suffering, you go to Christ. But how did the Israelites respond to this? They rejected him. They judged him and said to him, you are demon-possessed. Instead of saying that you must be speaking as an agent of God, they turn to him and he says, no, you are speaking as an agent of the devil. They know that they, they want to kill him. But they are pretending as if they are not. And Jesus turns to them to condemn them. And he's, by, by quoting an example whereby miracles were... Uh, by, by pointing an example to say that these miracles that I performed in healing the men on the Sabbath is not inconsistent with the law. As a matter of fact, it is something that you too, as Israelites, do as well. He points to one act that they do. He says, when you have a child who is born um, on the first day of the week, and on the seventh day, you're meant to circumcise that child. You circumcise them on the Sabbath, even though that it is breaking the Sabbath law. You are trying to keep this part of the law and break this part of the law. You're trying to keep the law that said, 
It's hard to be circumcised on the seventh day. But in doing that, you are working. He is pointing here to their hypocrisy. In, point, in pointing to him and saying, you are not meant to heal on the Sabbath. Jesus turns to them and says, you also work on the Sabbath, by the way. In other words, the claim that you are making against me, that I am breaking the law, is invalid. He turns to them in verse 24. And he says, stop judging by mere appearances, therefore. Make a right judgment. He has had them look in themselves and, and, and make a judgment. Is he equal with God or not? Is he the, the, the promised Messiah who is coming to the world to restore it? And they have decided that he is not. Except for the disciples, that is. And then again in, in, uh, in the last part of this verse, he has made them look inside themselves and say, do we keep the Sabbath law that we are seeking to protect perfectly? Or do we do certain things on the Sabbath as well in trying to keep to the law? In, uh, in the book of Mark chapter 4, I think, uh, Jesus made the point in another, in another way and said, which of you who had an oxen who had fallen into the ditch in the Sabbath day, will you leave it there and not take it out because you're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath? Remember, he says in Mark, God desires mercy. Not sacrifice. He desires that you become compassionate people. Not merely uh, robots who obey the law. God needs you to see what the Sabbath was for. Sabbath was meant, meant, was meant for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was meant for you to rest. It's not meant to be something that strangles you and stops you from even being compassionate because it is on the Sabbath day. The Israelites had misjudged the situation we see here. They were not, ju they were not judging properly. They were judging by mere appearances and not making the right judgments. They were looking at merely what is being done and not looking deeper at the reasons why specific things were being done. But the reasons why Jesus was healing. The danger with us as Christians in making, in, in, uh, in, in making judgments in the world is that we, te we tend to be seen as people who are opposed to everything because we have this superficiality as well in making judgments. We tend to be seen as people who, are, uh, who do not think as to why 
the Bible says this. This is why Jesus did this. And therefore, when we look at others, if we make judgments about what, what, what they're doing, we judge them at a superficial level as well. We look at people and we say, these people are not keeping to the law of the Bible. But if we look at what the law meant, when we come to a church, for an example, like ours, which will not uh, say to you, we expect you to give your tithe every month, but we'll ask you to, to give sacrificially to the work here at the church. You may come and you say, no, no, these people are not keeping to the law. But have you looked at why the law was set up in the first place? Have you looked at how it was interpreted in the, in the New Testament? Let us not look at things as, we must not judge by mere appearances. But rather, let us think deeply about why we do things and why we should do them. The word we've seen this morning is that we've seen people who looked at what Jesus did and judged them to be possessed by, by demons. They did not look at why he performed these miracles. They did not look at why he um, showed compassion on the Sabbath. And in so doing, they missed Christ. We had people here who were ticking the box and saying, you are not ticking the box on the Sabbath by sitting at home and doing nothing. But Jesus turns to them and he says, you are not judging this properly. We can be like that as believers. We can be uh, the sort of tick the box Christian. Are you there on, uh, on Sunday at church? Are you giving your 10%? Are you reading your Bible every day? But do we look at the why? Do we care about the why? And what we see here is that the why of Christ is visible, especially in, uh, uh, in verses 18. He says, He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent, who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false in him. It says, how do you judge then that you are doing something uh, legalistically just to tick a box? Or you are doing something that will honor God? The question you should ask yourself is, why is this being done? Is this being done for the honor of God or for the honor of the person who is before you or even myself? 
Think, for instance, of the tithing. Why do you give? Do you give merely that you may be seen as a good Christian? Therefore, to seek to honor yourself and say, I would, not, I would never rob God. Or do you give because of what God has done for you? You're not doing it for yourself. You are doing it for the honor of God, for the one who gave his life for you. This could apply in many ways, whether it's coming to church, whether it's reading the Bible in the morning or in the evening, whether it's praying at home. Are these being done for yourself or are they being done for God? Is God the ultimate benefactor or is, is it the person before you? Whether it's your teacher, whether it's yourself. Is this being done to honor God or to, uh, to puff off myself? What we see in Christ is that everything that he did was to point others to God. To point them to God. To point them to himself that he is the one who provides uh, forgiveness. That he is the one who heals and, and restores. That he is the one uh, who shows compassion. He is the one that if you want life, you go to. Let us pray and ask God to, um, to help us to grasp this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us as your people to stop judging by mere appearances, but to make the right judgment. I pray that you would make us men and women who are obsessed, obsessed with your honor and not our own. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to follow the example of Christ, who do not seek his own honor, but the honor of the one who sent him into the world. I pray that you would make us God-centered and not self-centered. Lord Jesus, as we enter into this Christmas season, that it would help us all the more to center all we do around you and not around our own desires. We pray and ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.